Well, Jeff Halfley has hired his offensive line coach, and it's the same guy that you remember from before. It's Matt Applebaum. He's back after a one-year um, uh, vacation in Miami. He has returned to BC. And on today's show, we're going to look at why what he's done in the past, kind of look at what he could do, and maybe why he may end up working. We'll be joined by Mitch Wolf to talk about his tenure at BC and everything else. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, and welcome. This is AJ Black. I'm the editor and publisher of 247's Eagle Insider. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. On today's show, we're going to look at Matt Applebaum. And if I want to dive into what he's actually done and look at the stats and analysis of where he what he could bring to BC, there's no other person I'd rather bring in than Mitch Wolf. Uh, staff writer at Eagle Insider. Mitch, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this. I've been doing a lot of research into this topic over the last few days. Um, although it did make me nostalgic for uh, the Coach Googe Googe tweets because, you know, I was going back through them and I was like, you know, these tweets are still electric, you know, almost a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we know it didn't go well, but I was like, man, these were some really funny tweets. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, while we're talking here about Matt Applebaum, there has been no hire I can think of in, in recent memory that has been more divisive than the rehire of Matt Applebaum. Uh, fans have not been happy. And there has been a lot of disappointment. There's been a lot of uh, speculation of rumors too. Like, you know, I, I think a lot of folks are thinking, you know, halfway struck out on all these other people and, Halfley didn't get it, you know, no one wants to coach at BC and blah, 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 blah. I'm here. I, I, as I said, and I'll stick with this, but this and the potential offensive coordinator hires kind of make me feel a little underwhelmed because as I said, my, my goal was for Halfley to get a fresh set of eyes on this offense and we're not getting, going to get any of that, but started with the offensive line. You know, it's a guy that had mixed results and um, we'll talk about that a little bit now. So Mitch, Let's get into this. Matt Applebaum, what do you got? Yeah, so I I do agree with some of those contentions about being disappointed that Halfley couldn't get some outside eyes. Um, I'm I, I'm I'm going back and forth on whether it's a grander indictment of the program as it stands. You know, I think that there is some validity to saying, oh, like people, you know, like you've said, you know, there are only so many Power Five jobs out there. Um, you know, but there probably is some validity to, you know, coaches not wanting to you know, jump on a possibly sinking ship. Uh, there could be some validity to them, you know, not having a lot of familiarity coaching in the Northeast or recruiting in the Northeast. So, you know, there's a lot of variables that go into that as well. So, and I think there's some validity to it, like I said, uh, but to take the other side, uh, I, I'm, I, I feel like I'm like one of the biggest, and I guess by default, like Matt Applebaum defenders, because I think people had, and you know, perhaps we, as the t- people who cover the team, played into this, but I think there were some unrealistic expectations for what people thought the BC offensive line and probably just offensive lines in general should, how, how well they should have performed. 
you know, so if you think about all the things that went into the two years that Matt Applebaum was there, the first year he's there, you've got everybody, you've got four guys returning uh, who are starters and you've got Christian Mahogany coming up as the other starter. And the problem is that off season, obviously that's the COVID off season when, you know, you have guys that are working out at home, but they're not on campus. They're not practicing together. They're not training together. They're not getting out on, on hand coaching. And they're also all switching positions. You know, the only one who stayed in his form position was uh, Alec Lindstrom. Everybody else was moving around. And again, there were some growing pains early. You know, they were installing a new offense. Uh, it was a weird off season, but as the season went on, I felt like they got a lot better and both just in offense in general and in blocking both the run and the pass as the guys, you know, just kind of settled into their positions as pass protectors and then, you know, figured out how to be more successful in the scheme. You saw BC run the ball a lot better in the second half of the year. And then that took pressure off Phil Dracovic, who was sacked and hit less during the second half of the season. Fast forward to the next year. And I know, you know, we were part of the Hope Springs Eternal movement. You know, everybody thought this game, the 2021 team was going to be great because everybody except Hunter Long and David Bailey were coming back. The offensive line was all back. It was going to be great. Everybody was going back to their original positions. You know, you had Zion Johnson kicking back inside. Um, you had uh, Ben looking outside and Tyler Rabel going back to left tackle. And <clears throat> again, the big I think the biggest problem with that season was Phil, uh, Dennis Grossell having to replace Phil Dracovic for most of the year. We, you know, there was obviously Phil comes back, but then he's still hurt. A lot of stuff going on there. But Again, I don't think people say like, oh, the offensive line like fell off a cliff in 2021. I just don't think that one, the film and two, the stats bear that out because it there's a lot of people, research people have done that indicate that quarterback, that sacks are more of a quarterback stat than people want to admit. Um, and the first stat I want to bring up is that in 2020, BC allowed pressures on 40.9% of this of the dropbacks. And in 2021, that number actually dropped to 37.3%. Now, in terms of sacks, they allowed 28 sacks in each of those seasons. Now, because BC threw the ball less, their sack rate increased in 2021. Uh, it went from 6.3 in 2020 to 7.8 in 2021. But if you look at those sack rates, Phil Dracovic's sack rate in 2020 was 6.2, in 2021 was 6.0. For Dennis Grossell, his sack rate in 2019 was 7.2 in games he started, 6.8 in 2020, and 6.8 in 2021. So you see how sticky these sack rates are. So it's, it, you can, you know, maneuver the numbers around. Or, but the point is that you know quarterbacks are getting sacked kind of at the same rate regardless of the offensive line. The pressure numbers can vacillate, and like I said, the pressure numbers actually decreased in 2021. They were allowing fewer pressures. And furthermore, if you remove Emmett Moorhead's, he had a 24% sack rate. He was sacked six times and only 25 dropbacks. Yep. That drops the total sack rate to 6.6. So um, so essentially the sack rate, if you remove Moorhead, went from 6.3 to 6.6% in uh, 2021, which, again, I think that that's mostly on Dennis Grossell being a less mobile quarterback than Phil Dracovic and that creating more sacks because he's not able to escape with either athleticism or physicality. Wow. All right. So thank you for those stats. In a moment, we're going to continue our conversation with Matt about Matt Applebaum. And before we get into that, we have to apologize. We, I had kind of, um, I had promoted Jaden would be, he's going to be going to be on today. And unfortunately his schedule had changed, you know, sometimes when we're doing these on every day, uh, guys, they have their schedules changed on the fly and, um, we apologize and we'll, we'll hopefully try to get him on another time. Um, but before we do that, I want to tell you about our good friends over at FanDuel. 
if you have not checked out FanDuel yet, they're the official gambling betting sports partner of the Locked On Network. FanDuel is also the special fan uh, sports book of the NBA. We're now at the midway point of the NBA here. It's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel sports book. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. So, as I said, I love going over to FanDuel uh, for college basketball. They have some great lines. Unfortunately, if you live in Massachusetts, it's not there yet, but it sounds like it's coming soon. So, head over to FanDuel right now. It even lets you combine your bets for a bigger chance of a bigger payout with the same day game parlay. So, don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to get more. All right, we are here with Mitch Wolf talking about Matt Applebaum. And I, you know, I think what what I liked about one thing that I, I was interested in today was some of the, the comments that players and former players made about Applebaum. And I know they're press releases, but I love to read one. Here's Zion Johnson's take. He was now with the Los Angeles Chargers. Coach Applebaum knows what it takes to forge a top-tier offensive line and develop talent for professional football. I'll always be grateful for his mentorship and helping me reach my goal of being a first-round pick and playing in the NFL. And we'll get uh, there's a couple other quotes. We'll get to those later. But Mitch, continue on what you were kind of talking about. You were talking about sack rate, and I know you have some more things that you wanted to bring up about Applebaum. Yeah. So specifically with Zion, like I mean, if you think about him. You know, in 2020, he has to play left tackle. And like I said, like that season kind of started rough for him because that's not his natural position. He's learning this new, how to play a new position. And, you know, he by the end of the season, he's fine. Like he's serviceable as a left tackle, which for a guy his size is pretty surprising. Then in 2021, he moves back inside the guard and he's absolutely dominant and parlays that into being a first round pick. And again, I, I still think that a big part of that is because of Matt Applebaum's coaching. Like I think he knows what he's doing. Um, my general thesis with this is like, <clears throat> what is more likely an offensive line chock full of experienced starters with excellent PFF grades suddenly regresses in pass protection, despite their pressure rate decreasing in their second year of the coaching staff, or is changing from a mobile quarterback who can get out of sacks to an immobile backup that struggles to throw the ball led to more sacks. I, I, I think again, the, the context of what that team was is the bigger problem was the quarterback position and uh, that, that contributed to the offensive offense failing in general. We did see on the other hand, BC be able to run the ball better consistently over the course of the year. Um, we saw their run block, run blocking grade. And the reason why I'm going with PFF grades is because frankly, there aren't as many run blocking stats to go off of. Um, right, right. But so their unit grade as a run blocking unit in 2021 is 88.6, which was the 11th best in the country. And every BC offensive lineman who was a primary starter, they all had offense grades of 72 or higher. That was the only team that did the ACC. And there were only two other teams in the power five that did that. It was Ohio state and Oregon state. So again, you know, working much better as a run blocking unit because they're more comfortable in this zone scheme. Um, and, you know, you saw improvements. That's why Pat Gar was able to run for a thousand yards. And, you know, they were still able to run the ball decently at times, even with Grossell quarterback, you know, and even though the defenses knew they were going to run the ball, it was just the passing game was completely ineffective. So it didn't, matter as much um the one other set i found interesting was that if you look at tackles for loss um so in 2020 bc allowed 
uh, 6.36 tackles for loss per game, which was 69th in the country. Nice. In 2021, that fell to tied for 105th at 6.58. So not a huge change, a little bit. And it's probably just because BC ran the ball a lot more in 2021 than they did in 2020. In 2020. But if you look at the yards they lost on TFLs, the Eagles lost 80 more yards in 2020 than they did in 2021 on tackles for loss. That, and in terms of their rankings of the losses, from tackles for loss, they ranked 56th in the fewest yards lost from TFLs with 270, which is averaging less than 3.5 yards per tackle, which is made more impressive by the fact that BC had 426 rushing snaps in 2021 compared to only 312 in 2020. So in, to sum all that up, when BC ran the ball and lost yards in 2020, in 2020, they were losing a lot more yards than when they had tackles for loss in 2021. So essentially what what that can mean is that you know, the offensive line is blocking better. There are times when they're still losing and they're losing yards, but that number is improved. Unfortunately, we don't have as many yards uh, before contact and after contact measures for college football. Um, but that's something the NFL has, which is a stat I can also talk about with Apple bomb with this time with the dolphins. So a question for you, and this is more of a scheme thing. Do you expect, so th- there was a bit of a lot talk of a lot of talk about this zone ske- zone blocking scheme. Do you see that as more of a Signetti? Frank Signetti um, system or are a uh, Matt Applebaum thing? I think it's hard to parse out because if you look at his, the numbers from the dolphins and again, these numbers aren't exactly perfect, but they're from PFF. So according to them in 2020, they had 213 zone rushes, 126 gap rushes. So that's a pretty sizable lean towards zone. But I think a lot of that is on Mike McDaniel, his scheme. And also it's easier to, well, it's easier to build, uh, RPOs off of zone run schemes and it is for gap uh, just because you can kind of make them look the same. Um, whereas with gap, it's a little more difficult because you have pullers and everything. Um, but with BC last year, you had, they leaned so hard the other way towards gap. I think you're kind of going to see just a swing towards the middle where, you know, you'll kind of see, I would say generally a lean more towards zone just because that's kind of the way football is going right now. Um, so, you know, I, th- I could see maybe like a 60 to 40 or 55 to 45% in favor of zone. Um, but I think, but I definitely think that that is a, a Signetti signature where he was extremely hard leaning towards zone. I'm going to see if I can go back and find uh, what his uh, zone and gap splits were. But, you know, even in the first game of this past year for BCU said, oh, they're, they're running a lot more gap schemes because they had a lot more two polar concepts, GT counter, GH power, GH counter, all that kind of stuff. So, I think you're going to see that kind of settle in the middle where BC's not going to be dominant in terms of one run scheme or the other. Okay. All right. So that's, that's some good thoughts. Um, in a moment, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to talk um, about uh, some more of, of your feature that you're going to have over on Eagle Insider. When I, before we get to our, our next break, you want to go over some of these comments that are coming in? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, hello. There was a lot more than I checked. <laughs> All right. So Mitch, I think this is to you really. It only takes you a day or two, but you are a PhD of putting lipstick on a pig. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so the reason why I do this is because it's more interesting to at least positively prognosticate because if I just say, yeah, this hire sucks, um, then it doesn't leave you much, much to go. Yeah. yeah doesn't like we're in the business go. of content creation. We have to, you know, have debates, make things interesting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to see if there's a way that is, if it's positive and if it's negative, then, I, I mean, I think I've said this before that if, if this year doesn't go well, everybody's getting fired anyways. So, you know, that's just kind of how it would end. 
I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how much more I can say. I've said it like on four straight podcasts, and then I find these hires underwhelming. So, again, as you said, like I can't, I do, we do a daily podcast, and I can't do a podcast every day. This sucks. This sucks. This sucks. This sucks because no one would listen. Yeah. It would be the most depressing podcast ever. And I know being a Boston College fan could be very depressing, but you have to spin it sometimes, and that's what we're doing here. <laughs> and and I do, I do believe that there is some some positives here it's not it's not an eeyore moment in my eyes yeah and like the other the other part of this is like when he got hired away a lot of people were super happy because they felt the offense struggled and that was Applebaum's fault um and i i was i still like thought signetti was fine and i thought you know i i was like if he's gonna leave that that's fine um but i was a little more disappointed when Applebaum left and i got why i was surprised that he was getting that jump up because again you know bc's offense struggled you usually don't see guys who are on struggling college teams get picked up by pro teams, especially because Applebaum hasn't had had uh, no NFL experience except as a like offensive assistant before that year. And he had no connection to McDaniel as well. Um, But a lot of people were rejoicing. And I was like, listen, when you are changing coaches, you know, a lot that introducing that variable of change can lead to really bad things. And again, this year it's a bit of an outlier because of all the injuries, but I, I, I think it's fair to guess that had Applebaum stayed, I think the offensive line might've performed a little better than they did this past year right all right and then i i want to put this one up because i feel like this one's a shot at you eyes don't lie data can i mean i remember watching all those games the year in 2021 and i was like listen like the offensive line is not and it's it the offensive line is not the biggest problem and I, i sure some games they weren't blowing people off the ball um some you know other games they were other sometimes they were really locked rock solid pass protection sometimes they weren't you know there were times when Jack Conley had to come in and he was getting his butt whooped against Syracuse and uh, uh, Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. So, you know, I I'm, I'm watching these games too. I watched all those games that year and I'm just, you know, that is easier to find. All right. <laughs> in our final segment, we're going to take a, a, a trip down to um, take down a, a trip down to Miami and, and look at what Matt Applebaum did in his one year with the dolphins and look at if it was a disaster, if it wasn't, and what what other lessons we can learn this is something you're going to want to hear about we'll be back in just a moment this is locked on bc aj black here and we are talking this is a whole episode about matt applebaum this is this is fun i I got a compliment last week from my uh station manager or or, our um channel manager who was very excited that i did a whole episode on kickers uh (laughs) i you know what football you know bc fans get get crap for not being good football fans but the moment that this podcast goes to anything other than football my numbers drop so (laughs) i i will talk football until my face turns blue and we're about a week and a half away from spring ball so you better believe we're gonna be talking football for the next month and a half um especially with basketball looking like the way they are um all right so apple bomb he leaves and ends up in the NFL. And no, he was not fired. I, I see that a lot too. He was not fired by by Halfley. He left. To, he got a promotion. He got to go to the NFL. So he goes there. He lasts a year. Mitch, talk about what you've read, what the statistics you found about his time uh, coaching the line that got Tua blown up a bit. <laughs> Yeah, that was interesting because, you know, you you see all this stuff about Tua getting hurt all the time and he was in concussion protocol for like months or something in the offseason, which was crazy. And I kind of went into this expecting the offensive line to be really bad, but it, it frankly wasn't as bad as I expected, uh, especially in the run game. Um, if you look at this is the stat that I find most interesting. So 
if you look at yards before contact per rush, that's kind of what that means kind of you translate that to being, this is the yards that are created by the offensive line. You know, how much can the running back get before he gets touched? And a lot of times they're getting touched right at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, it can be not the best measure, but that's kind of one of the few ones we have to measure offensive line. Um, and the Dolphins last year averaged 1.59 yards before contact per rush. And that ranked 16th in the NFL, according to True Media. Um, and that was right below the league average of 1.62. And then they averaged 2.73 yards after contact per rush, which that's more about the running back than the uh, than the offensive line. And that ranked 20th, so below average. So essentially, you know, I would say their offensive line was average in run blocking. If you look at their overall pff grade of run blocking it was 69.9 again nice which ranks seventh so that's pretty good but again uh, the, i don't love those unit grades uh but it's just it's just another you know measure you can put in there um <clears throat> like i said they were pretty zone heavy a lot of that was the rpos and a big reason for that it, uh, that also helped actually uh protect to it because if you look at the numbers actually he was the dolphins were tied for the ninth fewest sacks in the nfl with 35 and they had the 10th lowest sack percentage uh, at 5.7 percent so and it's funny because those numbers say that but then they were 29th in pass blocking grade uh at 59.3 according to pff and the reason for that i would imagine is because if you look at their pressure rate it was 34.1 percent which was the 15th highest number so you know again pff kind of cares more about the pressures than the sacks because you know again the sacks matter more in the stat sheet but you know in terms of what's consistent it's the pressures and this is interesting because they face the third lowest blitzes faced per dropback, which means five or more rushers. Um, and that was the, that was at 18.8%. So um, they weren't getting blitzed a lot um, to it. And the other guys like don't really scramble that much. They ran a lot of RPOs. They had the second most play action passes according to pro football reference at 199. Um, so, you know, very heavy play action offense. Uh, they use a lot of motion. I'm kind of just hoping that in general, um, if Applebaum is going to help kind of with the general creation of the offense and structuring it with the new offensive coordinators, you know, he can kind of bring some of these schemes from uh, Miami, the Shanahan slash McDaniel tree where, you know, incorporate some more motion, find the one thing I was, I was I've been rewatching and Moorhead as well recently. And one thing that he is actually quite good at is RPOs and uh, quick passes, quick decision-making in the quick, uh, quick throwing game. And I think that bringing Applebaum back might actually have been part of that because saying, hey, like you can introduce some of these concepts to a guy like Moorhead, who that's an area where he excels. And that is something where, again, you can have these easy throws that build your quarterback's confidence and keep the offense on schedule as opposed to having these, you know, hard play action passes deep down the field where you're putting your offensive lineman in a tough situation and you're risking your quarterback getting pressured and hit a lot more. So I'm hoping that, you know, I, I think this, this co-offensive corner thing is going to be kind of interesting because I think you're going to see, obviously, I think Chud's going to be probably the play caller. I think you're going to see Shimko be kind of the liaison or middleman between him and Moorhead. And, Cause a lot of the stuff you see about quarterbacks and coaching these days is about finding the plays that your players like the most and they trust the most. And so essentially you know, I think Moorhead will say like, "Hey, like," or I think you know, Chad will come up with the game plan, and then he'll then then Shimko will go to Moorhead and say like, "Okay, like here's kind of what we want to do. What are the plays that you like?" And then they'll kind of circle those plays. Okay, these are the good ones because again, I think I mentioned this a while ago, but like, unfortunately, real college football is not like NCAA where you just have 350 plays and you can choose from any of them all the time. Like you gotta, you know, pick out 50 to 100 of them for any given week and say like, "Okay, these are the ones we feel really good about based on our week in practice, based on the opponent." and based on what our players like doing. 
All right. So we, we're almost out of time, Mitch, and th- you've done such a great job of explaining um, his history. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I, I've already said that I, I have found this this hire a little underwhelming. I was hoping for something different, but I, I'm starting to understand. I can understand where Halfley's coming from. And at the end of the day, that's what he's going to do, right? But I want you, I'm going to put you on the spot. What, what would you grade this hire? I would say Applebaum himself yep. is probably a B, maybe B minus higher because again, like I said, I think there is some validity to some of the concerns about it. I, I would I would grade the offensive coordinator hires more harshly. I would say those are D plus C minus range. Um because I think those were uninspired and a little concerning. Um, but I think Applebaum is a little better because <clears throat> again, with the offensive line, you need you know, after this catastrophe that was last year i respect him going back to somebody that is you know he's the that he trusts and you know some of the guys are are familiar with him you know christian mahogany i think you mentioned you know is uh is a fan of his um you know he's obviously helped recruit some of the guys that played last year you know guys like ozzy trapillo or or drew kendall and those kind of guys so he has an ex he has an extant relationship and again that's something where you know this is why I wasn't the biggest fan of them firing McNulty in the first place, because again, I I don't love introducing change unless there is a catastrophic failure or some kind of off the field reason where a guy is fired. And frankly, I would say that the catastrophic failure offensive line was why I was supportive of Gouge being let go. But again, because I saw like glimmers of what the offense was trying to do under McNulty and I would rather give him better support and have him build that relationship with Emmett Moorhead, because now this is Emmett Moorhead's third offensive coordinator in his three years at BC. Right. Right. And that's something that whenever you talk to quarterbacks or even just players in general, like learning so many systems in so little time is something that is really tough. And I mean, even even guys in the pros don't like it, but even guys in college, it's even worse because you have less time to be studying your playbook, less time to be practicing and all that. Like I remember, I think it was Jason Campbell, the quarterback for the Washington team back in the, 2000s i think going back to college he had like seven different offense coordinators in seven years including his first few years in the pros and again like you know who knows what he could have been but that's 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 just not going to allow your quarterback to develop so chase reddick had how many yeah 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 homegrown example exactly so you know just introducing that variable of change that you can't account for i generally don't like that unless there is a extreme reason where it needs to happen and you know, like I said, I, I, w- I was surprised and frankly, a little disappointed they let McNulty go because I thought there were some good concepts he had. Uh, Gouge, I totally got. And I think bringing back Applebaum to have, you know, at least a, a some kind of model of consistency there with a guy, you know, that's not going to try to bring in this whole new scheme. It's going to be a guy that is familiar with the players. He's familiar with what they're good at. And, you know, hopefully we won't need to see the guys all the way down the depth chart like we did last year. But he can say, OK, like these are the concepts that I know Christian and Kendall and Ozzy. I know these guys can all run them. So let's focus on these and we'll get better at that. And then we can build from there. All right. So Mitch, we're going to, I got to wrap this up here. Where can people find your work? You can find me at Mitchell T Wolf W O L F E. As you mentioned on, on the podcast earlier this week, I dropped an article about just how bad BC's running game was uh, in 2022 uh, in terms of historically looking at the last 15 years. Uh, now that we finally have some clarity on the offensive staff shaping up, I can start looking at their history. So I'm currently working on this article about, kind of the case defending Matt Applebaum, which I kind of talked about some of the stats I found. Um, That'll be coming out probably in a two-part series this week and then next week. And then now that we know that Chodzinski's going to be the OC, I'm going to be going back and looking at 
excuse me, some of his previous stops, uh, namely the 2016 Colts, which was the team he was the offense coordinator for, and see how that could possibly inform what BC's offense will look like this coming season. All right. And of course, you can find both of us on Eagle Insider. I've been, I'm in big time uh, recruiting mode. We're in a quiet period, but I have tons of news. I've been talking to a lot of recruits that are coming on campus that are visiting Boston College. Um, and I dropped an article today with my musings and a quarterback uh, that is a very high rated quarterback that BC is very in on uh, that just got some news in the last couple of days that may help change his mind from the school that he's committed to uh, go over to Eagle insider and subscribe today. And you can get all of our features. Mitch has stuff on behind the paywall sometimes too. Uh, it's, it's, you know, a cup of coffee each month and you can get the best Boston college coverage out there. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, to, to finish up this week and preview this weekend's game against Florida State and more football news as it comes along. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AJBlack underscore BC. Of course, uh, Mitch, he already described where he could find him. For Mitch Wolf, this is AJ Black. We'll see you again soon. Take care.